Hello, good evening and welcome to the Geeks at the Gates returning after a little hiatus because everybody was ill, stroke, busy, stroke, stressed. Uh, so we're back now. Hello. We're here today, not in the old shop. Uh, we're actually in Stephen Hillen's living room, which means it's comfortable. And there's a Lego pirate ship and Captain America's shield, because this is truly the house of pretty things. We're a little bit freeform. With this edition, uh, we we are going to talk a little bit about what's happened in the year so far, because we are halfway through 2019. But first, we've got a bit of reacting to some bits of news that have happened in the last couple of weeks since the last time we had microphones in front. First of all, Robert Pattinson. Oh, yes. Batman. Oh, bats. How are we feeling? I, I'm actually all right with him being Batman. I think... I think it's just unfortunately his legacy as Edward is still endured and nobody's forgiven him for it, in spite of all the films and projects yeah. that he's done that have set him far, far away from that. From, you know, on every production or tour for every movie, he was shitting on the film. And I. On I'm the not, Twilight On Twilight, yeah. yeah. And in fact, in one interview where it became apparent to him that women were actually idealising his character. He looked straight at the camera. I've not watched this interview, but this is just from what a friend of mine has told me. But I would love to watch it because he basically looked straight into the camera and said, if, there is, if you are seeing a guy that is remotely like my character, leave him immediately. He's an abusive <laughs> arsehole. I have to say, I, I, actually, you know, I didn't introduce everybody. So, hello, Alice. Hello. <laughs> and hello, Steve. Hello. Uh, it is just just me and Alice and Steve this evening, guys. Uh, so you'll probably know which voices is which by now. Uh, bearing in mind that me and Alice are on the same mic and we don't sound remotely alike. <laughs> so, yeah. I, do you know what? I rather unfashionably have quite a soft spot for Twilight. Not because it's good, because it isn't. And I don't think anybody other than Stephanie Mayer would ever pretend that it was. But I don't like to fandom shame. I don't think... I, we went through all this with Heath Ledger being cast as the Joker. We went through all this mm. with Ben Affleck. We went through all this with Jared Leto being cast as the Joker. Everybody complains as soon as they announce. And when we did the Avengers podcast, one of the things we said was how amazing are casting directors. Yeah. There's a reason that they've cast Robert Because I'll tell you what, they haven't cast Robert Pattinson. They haven't cast Robert Pattinson because he's obvious. Yeah. They haven't cast him because he's a massive star draw. Because the reaction suggests that he's quite the opposite, in fact. So could it be, could it just be, that they might have cast him because he's right for the part? And do you know what? The ones that are left field tend to be the best of surprises as well. Yeah. You know, it's, when, it's, when they first announced Christian Bale, people were going, well, he can't be Batman. He doesn't, he's American Psycho. He's not going to do that. Um, I think the thing that people forget is that these people are actors. <laughs> and what they do for a living is they pretend to be other people. Yeah. And I think as well, a lot of people can't see past Twilight, but they probably yeah. haven't seen all the other things that Robert Pattinson's done. Well, do you know what? Most of them probably haven't seen Twilight. Probably. And Twilight is what it is. And as I said, I don't like to fan fandom shame. Yes, the Twilight books are dreadful. I have read all of them. I will never read them again. Uh, but they were popular when I was an English teacher. Every year eight girl I was teaching was reading them. It was my job. If you've got kids to read. I read them all. Yeah. Um, that, and you know what? I I want to, I would go back in time and say to my fourteen year old self, stop reading these books. You shouldn't be liking these books. But do you know what? I think everybody at some point has liked a book or a TV series 
or a film that actually they look back on it as an adult and go, why the Alice, fuck did I like this? I grew up in the 70s and 80s, believe me. <laughs> the amount of inappropriate stuff that I, I read as a child is <laughs> from, from the blatant racism. Yeah, that I like. think we've covered this one where it's just... Where, oh, man. I, I don't, in fact, I don't think I... I think most of the stuff I read in the 70s and 80s... Is it worth even comparing the no. kind of bad that I... No, no, it's not. Although I would like to see Indy Boynton's take on Batman now. <laughs> Fanfic, Uh-oh. people. Somebody needs to write that. But no, I think Robert Pattinson is going to... No, they've made this casting decision because they either think it's going to be, an, it's going to be a draw for people to come and see it, but all people are going to go and see it because they don't know what to expect. Yeah. Or because they've got a good faith in the script and well, they think it's going to be all right. And the other thing is, and I've, I've, I've said this about many things, uh, about the Ghostbusters reboot, about Jared Leto as the Joker, uh, about all of the DC films. <laughs> um, you may or may not like them, and that's okay. Don't judge don't, it before you've seen it. If you, if you don't like it, you don't nobody's going to make you watch it. No one's, it's not like that scene in Brazil where they, they strap you to a chair and hold your eyelids open. They're not going to make you watch Robert Pattinson as the Batman. If you really don't want to watch it, don't. But also... If enough people make that decision, the film will flounder and another one won't get made. But also, don't form an opinion of something you haven't seen. Well, quite. Uh, yeah, uh, so anyway, that, I, I'm reasonably confident, I, I, I think. It, I think, uh, having seen some of the, the other work that he's done, um, I can't remember the name of the movie now, but it's the one where, uh, from David Cronenberg, where he spends the whole thing signing back in the limousine. Mm. That's a great film, that's a great well, performance. Also, even if the only thing you've seen him in is Twilight, and for a lot of people that's going to be the case, Yeah, you know, there is no case to make that the Twilight movies are good movies. They are not. But he's not bad in them. I mean, he's given, you know, he's having to deal with that script. Yeah. And let's be honest, he's having to also act against some of the people that are around him who were not necessarily great. And he's not terrible in them, except insofar as as an actor, his performance is not terrible. So, you know what? If he can manage to pull that off, give him a half-decent script and he'll be fine. Have you heard who's getting hotly tips to be his Joker? Have you heard who currently... I don't know if this is actually in the running or what fans are saying who, who mm-hmm. should be the Joker. Um, Macaulay Culkin. Oh, I had heard that. Oh, yeah. yes. Now, and do you know what? I think he'll be brilliant. Have you seen, and links to this in the show notes, and also links to the Robert Pattinson interview that Alice referenced earlier in the show notes, if I can find it, uh, but links to this in the show notes, have you seen the thing? Who was the guy that played the, the bad guys in Home Alone? Harry and, and Mark. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, Joe Pesh. It, the one that isn't Joe, the one that isn't Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern. Yeah. There's a brilliant thing that he made with Macaulay Culkin, which is available on YouTube. Links in the show notes, as I said, where he's he's doing it like a, a handheld video diary kind of thing. He's like, he's found me. My God, he's found me. <laughs> and then you you hear, and the next thing you see, like there's there's Macaulay Culkin with no shirt on, kind of leaping across the back <laughs> of the thing, and and Kevin McAllister has. Has sought, has hunted him down. Oh, sorry, Kevin McCallister's now gone, kind of John so, Wick style. Of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, do you know what? I, I'm perfectly happy to take Home Alone as a Joker origin story. <laughs> and and let's put it in the same universe. Kevin McCallister grew up, and he never got any saner. He just became more vindictive and more inventive in his ways to maim and cause harm. Because let's be honest, Kevin McCallister is dreadful. Borderline psychopath, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think that could work. 
Because Macaulay Culkin can do crazy. Oh, yeah. In the same way that Michael Keaton is unnerving when he does crazy because he doesn't come across as that. And the way that, they, because David Tennant had been Doctor Who, when he was Kilgrave, that made Kilgrave just that little bit more terrifying. Yeah. I think Macaulay Culkin as the Joker could really work. In, in a way that someone like Jack Nicholson didn't. Because Jack Nicholson is famous for playing the crazy. Yeah. And so somebody who doesn't do that, I, yeah, I'm, I'm well up for that. If if this Batman doesn't succeed, I hope the one thing DC then takes from it is that they need to give Batman a rest. I know they won't. No, they won't. Batman is the, their biggest superhero, that is the most successful superhero that they've had. Therefore, why, why on earth are they going to give him a rest? But rebooting the character every, or at least twice in a decade now, is not a good idea. Well, also, I think DC has a fundamental problem, and we're going to... It segues us nicely into the next bit of news. Yeah. Um, DC has been owned by Time Warner forever. It's, Time Warner has recently been taken over by AT&T. And I think it shows. Because I think there's clearly a very different corporate attitude at the top now. Different people are pulling the strings. Different people are signing the checks. Um, so Swamp Thing gets cancelled. Before the second episode, that was so ends. bizarre. Yeah. Well, it's because it's money. It's got nothing to do with ratings. It's money. They were expecting to get forty million dollars back in tax from the state of Louisiana, which is where they were filming. Yeah. They're getting fourteen. So. To so that's twenty-six million dollars that they thought they had that they don't have. So to punish the state for not giving them their money back, then. No, I think what preventing it, the show from being. Seen. No, I think it's more, more, more. I think it's. A year ago, maybe Time Warner would have gone, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, $26 million to us is not that much money. We'll fund it. We'll fund it. If it's success if season one is successful, we'll make season two. I think that attitude is not there now. I think AT&T have gone, well, those numbers don't add up. This series, this show is too expensive to make if we're not getting that rebate, so we ain't going to make it. Yeah. The numbers don't, because they're not creatives anymore. At least, even the people in Time Warner were a bit, on the creative side, they saw themselves as movie makers. Yeah. I think what we've got in charge at AT&T now are people who run a phone company. And so they're just, they've, they've just got accountants looking at the numbers. It's just all about that's how it, that's how it feels. And I think that's why the other bit of sad news, I'm, I'm genuinely sad about this. It has been, the rumour's been around for a while, but it has now been confirmed that DC's Vertigo imprint is going to be axed. And it's been, what, 26 years? At least, yeah. Um, and you know, I have the distinction in this room of being fantastically, fantastically old. Um, it is true. And I was there when Vertigo started. I remember the early 90s. Can you remember what was the first kind of big Vertigo title? Then? Um, well, it launched on the back of what were then referred to as the Burger Books, which is the comics that were edited within the DC Universe uh, were edited by Karen Berger. Yeah. It was the first head of Vertigo. Um, and so you had uh, books that already existed were Sandman, Hellblazer, Doom Patrol, I think, and they launched a whole raft of new titles to sort of celebrate the birth of the imprint. Yeah. Um, so you got the first Sandman spin-off, um, Death, The High Cost of Living, which is brilliant, by the way. You got The Extremist, which was um, really hard to explain, 
it was kinky as all hell. It was um, the extremist was a, a sort of gimp mask wearing fetishist, um, and I can remember almost nothing about it. <laughs> um, you had Sebastian O. Um, he was a slightly more dashing Oscar Wilde type. Um, there was lots of gay sex in there, which in nineteen ninety. Season 3 was pretty shocking, I have to tell you. And it sort of built from there. And it was the one bright light of hope in the 90s, in terms of comics. Uh, you, know, you had Dark Horse off doing its weird movie franchise stuff in a corner. But yeah, that was all the Bob Vibe and at Dark Horse, you had things like Paul Chadwick with Concrete, uh, which is a great book. I heartily, heartily recommend if anyone can find a copy of it. But you know, I mean, Image existed at that point, but Image at that time was essentially Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane, and Eric Larson trying really, really, really hard to recreate the Marvel Universe. Yeah. And everything was multiple variants, glow-in-the-dark, die-cast, holographic, animated, pop-bloody covers. And we had the speculator boom and all of that. And in amongst all of that, there was just this little ship of immense quality storytelling just floating on this ocean of garbage. And I, I, I think Vertigo is basically why I'm still in comics. I, I, I ditched most of the comics I was reading in the 90s because they were I think Vertigo from the 90s is probably still one of seen as the classic stuff now. I think a lot of, there's an awful lot of, as you say, you know, garbage and, and dead weight of the majority of nineties comics, but you look at you look at what these uh, what <coughs> Vertigo was publishing in the nineties, and it's all classics. Yeah. It's Sandman, it's Preacher, it's Transmetropolitan. It's these 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 things that people still look back to. <coughs> it's stuff that still sells. It's still shop, yeah. week to week, day to day kind of thing. I mean, yeah. the, the Sandman's thirty years old now, yeah. and people are still buying it. You know, there are not many people buying reprints of thirty year old Spider Man. <laughs> no, you don't. No, I don't. No, you don't. No, no, if you had the opportunity to read 30-year-old Spider-Man, you would revise your nostalgia. I, I, when, I, still, I still have my 30-year-old Spider-Man. I'm actually kind of remembering some of them. It, it, yeah, because it's Clone Saga, and that was never, never a good thing. So, and yes, Vertigo kind of <coughs> lost its way. Uh, Karen Berger left in, what, the early 20-teens, and Shelley Bond took over, and then she was kind of, yeah, yeah I'll, I think it's fair to say, pushed out. And then Vertigo kind of fell apart, but it was starting to come back. Some great stuff from Vertigo at the moment. Um, stuff like Goddess, Goddess Mode. Yeah. Um, and Imaginary Fiends. Just great imaginative stuff. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure that we're going to have that still at DC. Do you think that they're going to try and absorb some of the the, de- the, sort of the Vertigo titles into more of the DC universe, or do you think they're just going to cut the losses? Well, to a, degree they, to a degree they already have. Um, they've taken John Constantine, the Hellblazer, back into DC. Yeah. They did that in the New 52. Yeah. God, that was awful. So they started to take some of that stuff back. I think what we're not going to see is the more eclectic, non-DC universe stuff. Um, because I don't think the people in charge at DC now have the nerve. Uh, I mean, the obvious example of this is Second Coming, um, which is a comedy about the Second Coming of Jesus Christ. Half a do- I'm, I'm exaggerating now. I'm sure it was more than half a dozen. There were some complaints from people who said that that was blasphemous, and DC said, "Oh, oh, we won't bother then. We won't do it." From the company that also did Preacher. 
from yeah, this is from the company that did Preacher. Yeah. The, the, the the company that put out Preacher would have gone. Don't read it if you don't like it. Yeah. Fuck off. Which is what they did with Preacher. <laughs> um, the only time they'd ever caved was before this was when they uh, let the boys go to dynamite. Yeah. Um, and I can sort of understand. But that was under Wildstorm, wasn't it? I think Wildstorm was. There, there was other. St- it wasn't just well, a. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't just a. This is going to be controversial. We're not touching it. Yeah. Although, I think there were quite a lot of suits who were not sorry to see it go. And then there's the whole thing with Batman Damned. Right, because I keep forgetting that this is under was it the the the, the DC Black Label Black Label. That's it. And because obviously they're talking about doing a Harley Quinn one for that as well. Harleen, yes, it's out in uh, August. August, I think. Maybe September. Maybe September. Um, Do you think that's where they're going to? They're just going to try and push it so it's more. Edgy superhero yes. stuff rather than yeah. Being just I think the original edgy, edgy comics. I think the original stuff, stuff is not is not going to be there. Stuff like Red Thorn, yeah. I don't think we'd find at home at uh, DC now. Um, I mean, Preacher certainly wouldn't. Transmetropolitan definitely wouldn't. I doubt Preacher. I, I doubt. I doubt Sandman would. Yeah. If it wasn't established already, I, I very much doubt that Sandman would find a home at DC. Um, and it, that's a shame. But we are fortunate in that. Vertigo grew out of the little corner of the DC universe that everyone referred to as the Burger Books. And the Burger Books are back. Um, Karen Burger has her own imprint at Dark Horse now, called the Burger Books. <laughs> and she's putting out some great stuff. And some amazing stuff coming from there. And Shelley Bond is doing the same thing with Black... Black can't say it, but she's doing the same thing with Black Crown over at IDW. Yeah. So, you know, she's putting out books like um, Punk's Not Dead and um, um, Kid Lobotomy and and just just the kind of crazy shit that Vertigo was putting out in the 90s. So, you know, that stuff can still find a home. It's just not at DC. So comics fans can still get the stuff that they need. It's just not going to be. It's not going to be from DC. Yeah, and um, the downside then is it's not going to be getting published as frequently and as regularly, and it's going to... And it's not going to get the same attention. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've got the likes of Aftershock. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I know you're a fan of animosity. I love animosity. Um, so good. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that Aftershock is doing as well. Um, yeah. You know, was that Walk Through Hell? Uh, Walk Through Hell from Carl Venice, uh, Jimmy's Bastards. Yeah. Um, there's um, Lollipop Kids. Baby Teeth. Baby Teeth. Ah, oh, that's so good. Um, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, there's great stuff from Vault. There's Wasted Space. There's um, um, Fearscape. Um, my mind's gone blank now. All of the great <laughs> stuff from Vault, which is really annoying because I'm enjoying it. Uh, there's some great stuff from Black Mask. You know, so indie publishers are finding more traction now. Uh, and I think those publishers are Vertigo's legacy. And I think as well, they're definitely ones that kind of go, we don't do superheroes. Yeah, ever. It's just... Stories in comic form. That's it. Yeah, um, um, and that's and, and of course behind all of this, there is what Image has become. Image in the nineties would not have published Saga. No, it now does. Um, you know the nineties Image with it was like Savage Dragon and the Wildcats and Youngblood. Yeah, you know they would not have been publishing the science fiction that Image is putting out now. Um, Ice Cream Man, Infinite Dark. That, that, those things would not find homes. In '90s image, but they're there now. So yeah, maybe, maybe Vertigo had lived its life, and you know, it's done its job. I suppose I think it's seen enough other titles and other 
comic book publishers have spawned underneath it, under its under its mantle. So it's, yeah. it's done its job for that. Yeah, I think I think maybe it's done its job. So you know, but we don't want it to go. No, I, I, I I'm sad. But I think it's a don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. Um, um, for comic book collectors, and that means that your Vertigo collections are now worth more. Yeah, it also means it upset Ian, I think. He hasn't been in the shops since I've done it, but I've moved all the Vertigo stuff into the DC section. <laughs> He's not impressed. Uh, Ian hates change. <laughs> and the idea that stuff that doesn't have DC on the spine is in the DC section, he's not going to like that. It makes it very hard to find stuff. <laughs> it's still alphabetical. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, but I'm sorry about that. That's that's one of the negative things that's happened this year. But God help us, it's the end of June. My God, we're segueing so well tonight. Are we? <laughs> oh, we yeah, we need to not know what we're doing more often. <laughs> um, it's the end of June, and uh, we're halfway through the year. And what I want to do really is focus on the positive stuff that we have seen and read. Um, so I, I, I'm going to turn to Alice now okay. because because well 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 we've been. Gabbering on, uh, Alice, who has not read that much Vertigo and therefore was not able to take part in that conversation, having scarcely been alive in the 90s. <laughs> I mean, the one thing that I, ha- I have read from Vertigo, and correct me if I'm wrong, is probably V for Vendetta, and that's... Is that, was that... Actually, that wasn't, that wasn't Vertigo. That wasn't Vertigo. That was, that was straight up DC. Well, actually... It was even before. Yeah, the American version was published by DC. The original version was published in Warrior magazine in the UK. Right. Um, is there a reason why it's listed as a Vertigo publication? Or is it I, I, think it, I think it, I think some of the later editions were put out through Vertigo. Okay. Uh, but the original edition was published So in that through case, through no, I, I haven't then. No. I've not read a single thing from Vertigo. I'm, I'm, I was going to say I'm more... Some, the stuff that I tend to read is more from like image. Yeah, well, I mean, there's some bloody good stuff from yeah. it right now, so... And I think it's just, as but, you guys were implying, the, the 90s or its early beginnings wasn't that great, and then mm-hmm. I think it was able to build, I'm assuming, when I started yeah. to build it's, itself it's, up. It's, it's improved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, but no, but while we, were, while we were doing that, Alice was busy making notes. Yeah. Um, ages and pages. Ages like an organised person, so... So, we've held the mics for ages. So, what's been good this year, Alice? Um, what's been good this year? Where, where should we start? Well, TV series, I think it's actually been killing it. Um, especially Netflix. I mean, Netflix is really... I mean, I know yeah. it's been killing it for a while, but this year it's really... I mean, I think now TV across the board, it's not just Netflix, I suppose. It's actually starting to raise its game a little bit, like BBC has been bringing out stuff like Gentleman Jack years and years. Mm. Um, We've also seen, what was it? You know, and those ones, uh, in those shows, they've been joining forces with HBO, which is like the cinema of... I I haven't actually seen it yet, but currently now the the most highest rated TV show of all time is a miniseries that aired this year, which is the Chernobyl series. Mm. Yeah, oh, I've out, heard amazing things about it. I've yeah. not seen that. Yeah, I, I haven't it's seen it. It's higher than Breaking Bad, it's higher I... than Game of Thrones, it's higher than And it came else. from the writer of The Hangover of all and, and some of the scary movies, I think, as well. It's, uh, yeah, but it's, I mean, I remember Chernobyl. I, was studying, I can imagine it was not a fun time. I was I was studying Russian at the time. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I, Chernobyl's one of those things that I know enough about it that I'm definitely not watching that show. Um, I'm part of quite a few different groups on Facebook of, of people into movies and TV shows. And when every episode aired, you'd sort of see people going, 
bloody hell, that was a tough episode. Mm. And there's, I think, one of the episodes, which is about how they kind of dealt with the, the wildlife, and people were just kind of going, I just wanted to hug my dog. I never, ever, ever want to watch that episode ever again. I'm thinking, this is entertainment, apparently. But I, I'm sure it's very good. I yeah. think it, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's not quite entertainment, is it? It's partly education. Yeah. In that, I mean, Chernobyl is a brilliant cautionary tale. Uh, this is what happens when you don't pay attention. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, people sort of say, oh, you know, Chernobyl is an example of why we shouldn't have nuclear power. That was human error, though. Yeah. It wasn't actually... Actually, actually no, if you... Because there is a fault in the system. If you, you manage know. if you manage a nuclear power station properly, Chernobyl doesn't happen. Yeah. Or, I mean, it is also, though, having said that, a demonstration that if you have nuclear power, it's extremely unlikely that anything will go wrong. Mm. Fukushima is another one. That yeah, they but, love to use. but, it, but it, it does illustrate that. Yeah, but on the the million, to, the if it's a million to one chance that something will go wrong, it does sort of demonstrate that. Yeah, but that millionth time is going to be an absolute catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it just means that one doesn't have that problem with wind farms. Have stricter <laughs> regulations. Like, but yes, like I'm um, I'm not entirely sure if I'm right here, but with Fukushima, basically the guy turned up to work drunk, didn't he? I don't know enough about that. Um, I'm not sure. But I'm pretty sure I one mean, of the major getting, catastrophes... Getting hit, getting hit by a tsunami didn't help. Oh, yeah. Be, being on a... Yeah. I mean, yeah I, where, it, where it was placed, it strikes me. It strikes me. You know why they built a, the city of Louisiana on a swamp that's prone to hurricanes? Was, mm. was, was kind of eccentric. Yeah. I, I, I think building a nuclear power station on a coastline that's prone to tsunamis yeah. is a bit eccentric. But yeah, I'm pretty sure one of the major um, hmm. catastrophes was because basically something. Um, <laughs> no, I think Three Mile Island was something to do with that. But we're drifting off to nuclear catastrophes that we don't know that much about now. <laughs> rather, than, rather, than about on, rather than focusing on rather than focusing on on the brilliance of Chernobyl, which I haven't seen, so I can't comment anything. I haven't seen, but I, I haven't seen it either. It, but it's on my to watch list. It's because on I've my heard list, amazing things. I'm, I'm not really for watching it. I, yeah. Well, it's like the Handmaid's Tale. I, I I won't be watching the Handmaid's Tale ever. Um, not it's because, the fact that it's brilliant. Not, yeah, not because I don't think it's good. I'm sure it's excellent. People whose opinions I trust, uh, including you, have told me how brilliant it is, and I completely believe you. Uh, but it's just too real. It's my favourite book by a living author now, um, and I've read it a lot. I've taught it. I understand that season one, at least, sticks to the book very closely. Mm. And I don't need to be that depressed. Yeah. It's... And then I think season two goes even darker. Yeah, so do you know what? And let's not talk given, about season three. Given, <laughs> given given how almost not fictional mm. it now seems. I'll watch the news. Margaret Atwood has said that everything that's happened in that book has happened... Oh, yeah. She in, hasn't made in, anything up. All of the, all of those, real life. all of those <laughs> at some point in history, all of those restrictions have been imposed in, on women at some point. The only thing she did with Gilead is put them all in one place. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of scary. So, so, yeah. and we're we're going dark again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to the happy stuff. What's the happy TV things? Well, I was going to mention <laughs> Happy. Um, oh no, I haven't finished Happy yet. Oh, it's it's fantastic. Um, I hadn't watched it before. I'd seen it. On oh my that. god! Did you watch? Did you watch both seasons in? Yeah. Oh wow! I haven't seen it at all yet either. So I, I'm, um, I need to go into it. But I'm cold. How are we even friends, Steve? <laughs> you haven't watched Happy. I know. It's oh. it's one that I kind of 
I, it's another one of those sh- shows that I've, when I've been scrolling through Netflix, trying to find something to watch, and I just thought, you know what, I've heard, I think I heard Vate from you, I'm sure you mentioned it at some point. I, I, I almost certainly did, because I've been raving about um, it since it came out. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to give it a go. And you, and I, that's happened quite a lot this year as well, which is probably why I've watched so, I've got such a long list of things to watch this year, and it just, it it was just a lovely well, surprise. Happy, which is a very strange way to describe happy, considering... Happy is, I think it's fair to say, one of the most offensive things I've ever seen on television. <laughs> yes. Nick Sachs, the central character, is vile. <laughs> He's a truly, truly horrible human being. But it's great. Mm. Um, and Patton Oswald is happy. is I'm just... Astonishing. I, I adore Patton Oswalt. Really have you have you read the comics, Dave? No, I haven't. Again, how are we friends? <laughs> it, I loved the comic. Darren, back in Darren's days at the shop, Darren made me buy Happy. It's one of two comics he managed he managed to persuade me to buy. That and Saga are the two things that Darren sold me up. I didn't listen to him often, but when I did, I thought it was un- unfilmable. And when I heard they were making it. I was like, oh, that's going to be terrible. That's never going to work. Because they're going to have to cut half of the stuff because none of those jokes are going to be allowed on telly. And they're never going to allow a villain that awful. And they're never going to allow a hero that awful. And it's a six-inch tall flying blue unicorn. That's ridiculous. And then I watched it almost to see how bad it was going to be. They had me in the first ten seconds. when, And it happens in the first ten seconds, so I'm not having this as a spoiler. The show opens on Nick Sachs in the most disgusting bar men's room there's ever been. Mm. Staring sadly at himself in the mirror. He then blows his brains out and we cut immediately to a disco number <laughs> where scantily clad, clad women under flashing neon lights dance around him as there's a plume as he dances and there's a plume of blood coming out the back of his head. Um, and then this is revealed to be his drug addict fantasy and he, he was fa- he was fantasising about killing himself and he was never going to do it. And then he goes out and he's rude to the barman and, and it's just... From that point, it's like, okay, this is like nothing you've ever seen on television. I'm going to have to start yeah. watching it. It's, yeah. it's, it's so good. And season two, I'm only halfway through season two. Yeah, after that moment, I was like, right, okay. Uh, th- this is the this is the tone we're taking. Yeah. And you, you're either on board with it or you're not. Oh, I mean, if you are offended by bad language, nudity, nope. Nope. sex, nope. Um, blasphemy, nope. um, depictions... Now, you see, I was going to say if you're offended by paedophilia, uh, but of course everyone, everyone is offended yeah. by paedophilia, uh, by portrayals of paedophilia, because that's the crux of the... It's never, the word is never used. Yeah. Uh, what is going to happen to the children that are being kidnapped, not a spoiler, it's what the thing's about. Yeah. Um, is not spelled out, but it's pretty bloody obvious. Mm-hmm. It's so icky. I mean, your skin, your skin will crawl. But then again, the show makes you want to feel icky. About oh yeah. That. I mean, your skin will crawl, and you will be furious, and and you will want someone to hit those people until they go squishy, um, which will happen. So that's good. <laughs> um, and there's ah, oh, it's just so good. The whole the whole imaginary friends thing. Um, which again is not a spoiler because that's no, what happy no, is. I'm aware of the concept. The whole imaginary friends thing is so beautifully done. I wish I could tell you how it ends because it's heartbreaking and beautiful. Um, and I'm right thinking that there's only two seasons. There's only two seasons. I think it's two and done. They pulled it. Yeah. Pulled it. Yeah. Unless somebody takes. Unless somebody else picks it up. Picks but, it up. And yeah. I think it might be done. I, I mean, depend. I mean, I'm just thinking perhaps depending on the success because 
Grant Morrison is now working on the new um, adaptation of Brave New World. Yes, he is. And so he's now busy. Yes, but perhaps if that's really successful, somebody might pick mm-hmm. it up. Depending. Yeah. Um, because that's sometimes how these things go. That if one, if another project is quite successful, they'll think actually, you know what? If somebody yeah. comes back for that, then that's. And I think maybe a year or two off, even if they do make more, is perhaps not a bad thing. No. It's pretty intense stuff. Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, I, I'm. I mean, I think it's just because I I love the show so much that that's what that's how I was able to yeah. watch the whole. But it's certainly it's certainly the kind day. of show the kind of, it's the kind of show you couldn't just keep cranking out. It's not loose. Oh no, absolutely yeah. not. No. I mean, no. To, to segue onto something that I've loved this year. Um, you can keep they can keep cranking Lucifer out in the format that they've got forever, and you'll just keep watching. It. And every, that's one that I've always been really curious about. I've not watched. Have it. you not watched it? Have you read the comic? It doesn't matter. It's nothing like the comic. <laughs> okay. Um, the the only thing, the only thing that the TV show's got in common with the comic is um, Lucifer has quit hell. And then the piano bar in Los Angeles. That's where the similar. That's where the similarities stop. Okay. The comic is quite serious and thought provoking, and very much in the vein of Sandman, of which it is a spin off. Yeah. The TV show, on paper, is a bog standard crap police procedural with a villain that has a villain of the week and a supernatural twist. But it's so much more than the sum of its parts. Um, I'm getting kind of like an angel kind of vibe. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, have you not seen it either? No, I haven't. Oh, jeez. I, I have not watched an awful lot of telly. Right. And I've, okay. In the last couple of weeks, I have been able to catch up with a few things. One of the things that has made me really happy this year is that Lucifer got cancelled by Amazon, and it was immediately picked up by Netflix. Oh, really? Um, almost as though they were like, hey, Amazon, you dropped this. What do you mean you don't want it back? Can we have it? <laughs> it's... And I'm so pleased because it's phenomenal. As I say, it shouldn't work. It should be terrible. Uh, what it basically is, in the, in the first episode, the pilot episode, Lucifer is chatting to an old friend uh, outside his nightclub, which is called Lux, which is Latin for light, because Lucifer is the light bringer. It's not subtle, this show, at all. <laughs> and she is saying to him, look, I know who you are. And since... I've known you. My career as an actress has gone from strength to strength. I'm now a big star. Have I sold my soul? And it's like, what? No. You're just a really good actress. I made a phone call. What? <laughs> um, and then there's a drive-by shooting and she's killed. He, of course, is not because he's the devil and therefore cannot be killed. Um, so the police arrive and the beautiful, smart and sassy detective Chloe Decker uh, is the homicide lead homicide investigator. She immediately suspects he's got something to do with it because it was a drive-by shooting. Yeah. He was standing next to the person who was killed and he wasn't hit. Well, he was, but she doesn't know that. And he insists, because it was his friend who's been murdered, and he cannot tolerate that. Uh, he insists that he must help her. Uh, she, won't, she won't have it. This, this is Castle. She won't have it. It's very, yeah, it is, actually. She won't have it. Uh, so he goes to the chief of the LAPD and uses his satanic powers of influence to get signed on as a consultant to the LEPD. So yes, it's Castle, it's but Castle, on the, yeah. it's Castle on the West Coast. 
with the devil. <laughs> um, meanwhile, and, and that's the setup for that. Yeah. And then every week there's a different crime that Chloe is solving, and he tags along and is offensive and <laughs> crass and charismatic. So is it sometimes it's human baddies and sometimes it's. I do, it's always human. Alright, okay. Um, there are supernatural baddies, but they're not involved with the police. Except, except maybe occasionally tangentially, but it's, it's, yeah. Um, the supernatural side is, um, Lucifer's brother, uh, Amenadiel, has been sent to take Lucifer back to hell, because that's his job, and he's shirking his responsibilities, and Amenadiel has an ulterior motive here, because so long as Lucifer isn't running hell, Amenadiel has to, and he hates it in hell, because <laughs> it's hell, and he's an angel. And there's all kinds of machinations around that. And the supporting characters are brilliant. Uh, Lucifer's right-hand woman in the comics and in the TV show is a demon called Mazakine, who was the best torturer in hell. And she hates Earth. It's boring, because she's not allowed to mutilate people anymore. And that's what she does, <laughs> because she's a demon. Um, but she is incredibly loyal to Lucifer, and therefore will have to follow, has to follow him anywhere and do what he says. For various reasons, Lucifer ends up in therapy. Um, his therapist is an absolute delight. I can't remember the character's name now. Um, but she, she is just hilarious. So how many seasons has it, has it gone? Uh, four now. Right. Netflix has season four. Yeah. Um, and it's great. And, you know, there's the whole thing, because obviously we know who Lucifer's father is. That'll be God. Yeah. Uh, Lucifer's mother turns up at one point, which is a whole thing. And occasionally there are risks to the entire universe and stuff because of the supernatural side of, of Lucifer being... The... May I ask, have the Christians made complaints? They're not fans, the so what, I think it's fair I, to I say. It, there was a petition. When it first started in the States, there was a big thing. Because it's, uh, it's on one of the networks in the States. Yeah, I think one of the it was one of the sponsors of that primetime slot was... I mean... Was the like Christians have made complaints about good omens. It's only fair that they make complaints about loose. I think they did. I think I I I think nobody cared. I think people care about that stuff. I think that's that's a good way to segue into good omens because I think that's definitely been one of the best things so far this year on TV as well. That has done everybody. I haven't seen that's, the TV show. Another one You've that I haven't it. seen. But I've oh, not, man. I don't currently have a Prime subscription, so right. uh, it is. Neither do I, and I never shall. It's six episodes and done. Um, yeah. And I think they're all an hour long each. Uh, and the great thing is there's one episode as well. You don't actually get the introduction until about 45 minutes into it. You spend the whole the, the whole 45 minutes of that episode is just um, uh, Crawley and Aziraphale through time. And yeah. Their, their interactions with each other are all sort of different. Yeah, so during the French Revolution... During just all these different bits, and it, it's so so well done. You kind of thinking this is a great episode because it's just flashing back, but they've kind of forgotten about the main plot, and then suddenly you then get the introduction. It's like, oh my god, we're actually still. This is mm. just the cold open, and it's yeah, it's just like a mini gold open. Uh, I'll come back to it to cold opens in a, in a minute because there is another TV show that I want to talk about. But yeah, Good Omens has done. It's been great, and it's got again amazing supporting characters. I... David Tennant is channeling Bill Nye. So well <laughs> in Good Omens, and it's just he's fantastic. It's funny because people have been talking about Good Omens movie stroke TV show for years. Yeah, long ones. And Tennant has been like the number one fan casting since he was on Doctor Who. Yeah. And um, I, I had every faith that he would do that. And of course, the whole thing is being shown by Neil Gaiman. I've got absolute faith that he would do a good job of the thing that he was half responsible for creating in the first place. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Um, I'm a huge fan of the book. It's it, my copy I've had now, well, well over 25 years. Um, it's absolutely knackered. <laughs> um, I've always loved the book, and I cannot wait to see the TV show. I think it's... There's probably you'll probably find tons of references to to other Pratchett and, and game works. And I, there was there was one point there was a character is reading a copy from the gods. Yeah. Um, and they were that sort of place. It's done so so well that it's a brilliant British cast that they've, mm. that they've got for the majority. But then there's a few Americans that crop up in there as well. Um, and John Hamm is Gabriel, and he is so. So funny, and John Hamm, I think, is one of these actors that he's known for Mad Men and he's known for doing kind of a lot of serious work. Mm. But he is such a funny guy, and he crops up in so many different things. Um, if you've, I don't know if you've seen Kimmy Schmidt, oh, he's fantastic in that. Brilliant in that, and he just yeah, he just crops up in different things. Um, actually, another show he cropped up in one one cameo for one cutaway joke. Um, in the show, I don't have you heard of Barry. Yeah, with Bill Hader. Oh yeah. Oh my God, I've caught up with Barry, and that's that's right to the top. I, Actually, I've that's, heard that's, great. That's, th- that's another one I've heard great things. That's about. second place on my my favourite series of this year. That is so so good. horrifically violent, um, but so so funny. And yeah, John Hamm has one tiny cameo in that, and I, I laughed out loud. So, what was your other show with Carl Opens? Um, the OA. Oh yes. I've I've binged the OA. In uh, is this both seasons or yeah, both because series two came out this year. Series one, I think, was sort of last year, not 2017. It's so trippy, but it's it's fantastic. It's the best book I've ever watched. That's the easiest way to describe it. It is a it's a very, very big novel full of very well developed three dimensional characters, some you like, some you don't like, but you totally get their background and their reasons for doing what they're doing from nearly every single person in it. There's a few characters where they they feel very minor thing. They haven't done anything, and then suddenly they'll do something so pivotal that they are absolutely integral to the plot. It is slow, it is long, it is languorous, but it is beautiful, and I haven't got a clue really what's going on <laughs> for most of the time. But I just went that's, with it, and I loved it. That's the thing I like about it, though. And it doesn't put all the cards on the table. No, it's still it is open keep, to interpretation yeah. completely. And it, um, the first episode is, I think it's a, um, an hour and eight minutes long. The introduction begins almost an hour into it. So it starts and you just go straight through and you just you get into it. It's it baffling. The, the premise is essentially a, a woman who went missing seven years ago is returned to her family. No one knows where she's been. No one knows what she's, she's done. Um, however, when she disappeared seven years ago, she was blind she can see. Oh, they don't know. She is determined to try and get online to try and find somebody. But we don't know exactly where it is. It's in very small town America, and it turns out that there's a lot of troubled teenagers in this town. It's kind of a dead town. No one really does anything that goes anywhere or has any future. And she then is able to recruit four teenagers and one of their teachers through a, a bizarre YouTube video that she places, and she starts recounting her story every night to them. She needs these recruits, and they need to pay attention when they do this. And it takes almost an, an hour before she starts to tell her story. 
and she sits down with them. It suddenly goes, Netflix presents. And then it just, there's almost this transcendental moment that happens when the music kind of kicks in. It's just like, oh my god, now it's starting. It's taken an hour to get into it, but now it's beginning. And then five minutes later, that episode ends. And it goes straight to the end. And I got hooked. I could not stop talking about it and thinking about it. The less you know about it before you watch it, I think the better. They, they've never told you what OA stands for outside of the show. But when you start watching the show, you learn, I think, pretty much by what they do episode two, episode three, what OA stands for. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Okay. And series, <laughs> series two came out earlier this year. And if that's it and it's done, I'm kind of happy with it. But at the same time, it's been left on such a cliffhanger. <laughs> I have to see what happens next. I, I'm I'm absolutely smitten with all of the characters that's in it. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful show. And Jason Isaacs is, is in it. And I love Jason Isaacs in everything that he's in. And particularly in this, he is essentially the antagonist. He's definitely the villain. But I am so drawn to his character. It kind of scares me a little bit. I'm <laughs> so fascinated about like where it's going to go. What I quite like about his character, or and this is something I was going to say about how all the characters are out, is that they feel very real. They're not. Totally. And they feel incredibly authentic. And I feel like I've seen these characters in other shows. Like they have the same gender identity or the same sort of roles, for lack of a better word, in the show. But. In those other shows, it's not been. It, it feels very artificial. Whereas in the OA, it just they feel like living, breathing, yeah. authentic people. Like they, these are people that could actually exist in yeah. this world. It's a, it's I, it's so hard to describe without giving away too much. And I, I, I'd had it on my list for ages, and I, I was mainly interested through <clears throat> Jason Isaacs being in it. I thought. Just, I'm just gonna it's got to be good. It's Jason Isaacs, isn't it? I'll go for it. And yeah, it's great. It's the showrunners are also the lead actress and the um, the director of the majority of the episodes. And right. They, they co-write every single episode. It? So it's a real hot well, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, they've done films together as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, and that's actually what drew me to the OA is that I was familiar with the other. You know, there are the works. I think I'm going to have to check this out. And it and it feels. I, I don't know if you've seen any of their films. I don't think I have. And it feel uh, there's. You can see their visual style there uh, in the OA. Like you can you could tell. Like there's um another uh, Earth that's in the latest film that they. Oh, I remember that's actually on my list of things to. Uh, and that was fantastic. But just you could t- like just tell from like the first shot of an episode from the OA or from one of their films that it's it's their kind of co-production because it just they have such a distinctive visual style it's smart, and narrative it's style. intelligent it's gentle but at the same mm. time it's quite shocking in places as, as well um there's quite a strong sex scene in the first episode of the, obviously the actors themselves aren't teenagers but they're playing high school kids and suddenly it, it comes out of nowhere as well. So if you're watching it, and don't watch it on public transport, because suddenly you're going to look like, and mm-hmm. suddenly you just kind of go, well, that was not what I was expecting at all, because that's how they essentially introduce one of the characters as well. And it's, yeah, 
definitely a, a bit of a left turn there. I just love what a labyrinth the, the narrative is, because it takes you in one direction, you think it's going to, like, okay, I, I know what's going on now, and then suddenly it makes, like, a, it, not even a U-turn, it just kind of... And season two does something even more incredible, which is... It's almost in a completely different room from where mm-hmm. you were. It's, it's now something else yeah. starts. It then becomes... It introduces a new character. But it works. A detective story, and it's... Yeah, it's phenomenal. Okay. It's absolutely great. It is 10 out of 10. Five stars. Okay. Yeah. And we will leave it there. Join us next week when we continue this discussion of everything good that happened in the first half of 2019. We will miss out loads because, honestly, such times we live in. Seriously, there is so much good stuff we couldn't possibly fit it all in. Hopefully, the stuff we've missed will make it into our review of the year in January. But for now, it's time to sign off. So, be kind to yourself, be kind to everybody else. And above all else, remember... We may be the geeks of the gate, but we are geeks and not gatekeepers. See you soon, guys. Thank you for listening to the Geeks of the Gate podcast. us on Facebook at facebook.com slash geeks at the gate or contact us on Twitter at geeks at the gates or contact us by email on mail for geeks at the gates at gmail.com that is the number four not the word geeks at the gates is a production of Venus Rising Media and is proudly made in Yorkshire Are you, are you swine or are you doing homework? Yes. <laughs>